Psalm 103. You may read along if you wish in your bulletin. O God, you are full of compassion and mercy, slow to anger and of great kindness. You will not always accuse us, nor will you keep your anger from us. You have not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our wickedness. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so is your mercy great upon those who fear you. As far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our sins from us. As a parent has compassion for a child, so do you have compassion on those who fear you. These are among the words that became a foundation on which Jesus experienced God and knew himself as being loved by God. Words like compassion, kindness, mercy. What would it be like for you if you recited these words each day over and over? How would they change the way you experience God and yourself? These past Sundays, <clears throat> reading in the Gospel of Matthew, we've had a series of conflicting stories. Parables that set the disciples up, as parables are meant to do, and then popped their bubbles with surprise and maybe confusion. For example, the lost sheep in which the shepherd leaves the 99 to go find the lost one and then rejoices, bringing it home on his shoulder. Then the little child Jesus brings into his embrace and states, it's the least who will be in the kingdom of God. The lost and the least not anyone's idea of success. Then we have the Pharisees and the scribes scoffing at the sinners coming to Jesus, saying, this man Jesus welcomes outcasts and even eats with them. So then, with this picture of Jesus in mind, why does Matthew report Jesus saying things like, if the offender refuses to listen to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Or in today's reading, and in anger his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he should pay his entire debt. His followers must have been confused. Well, now I've got myself in a pickle with all this thinking and figuring. However, I know the stage that is being set by Jesus is broader than we can see at this moment. I'd like to stretch around, search around for some clues. 
This time in Matthew's Gospel, it begins with Jesus hearing of John the Baptist's death. John the baptizer who had fervently exhorted people to repent and uphold the law of Moses. Suppose this was the path he should follow? At this point, Jesus must be remembering his experience in the wilderness, wrestling with all the possibilities of what his call was to be. Asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, the Messiah. So here, way up in Galilee, Jesus knows his time has come to turn his face and go to Jerusalem, which will mean his death. So death and what it means becomes his focus. How to teach these beloved followers of his how to die. That dying is not losing. That dying will not be the end. That dying to the everyday things that separate us from each other, from the lilies of the field, from little children, these things are not from God. He knew he had only a little time left on this earth to teach and model what he knew directly from his father and their father. How could he teach what he had experienced in the wilderness as he died to the tempting possibilities to be great and powerful? and never have any need for anything. He knew that becoming truly human meant many deaths, and that those deaths brought the freedom to become who God created each person to be. So on this stage, let us act out our readings for today. May I suggest the theme to be forgiveness and that, and that that very linchpin opens all kinds of opportunities for death and freedom. In today's gospel reading, the king, who wishes to settle his accounts, to clean up his books, to be a good businessman, calls on someone who owes him one million dollars. What sort of slave would have had enough credit to have a debt of one million dollars? I don't know. But that slave is caught in his own credit crunch. He's wiped out. No way can he pay this back and it will devastate his family. They are slaves without any possibility of freedom. This distraught man falls down at his king's feet and pleads for his patience and promises to repay him, which he must know is an impossibility. So what happens to the king 
His heart is filled with pity. He tossed out the debt, erased the debt off his books, a million dollars. The king sacrifices that debt and lets the other person free. But the question here is why didn't the forgiven become a forgiver? I wonder how, on hearing this parable, Peter felt about his question to Jesus concerning his forgiving someone who had mistreated him. So then, what if we ask ourselves the same question? How often should I forgive? Which brings me to meddling and not just preaching. A personal story. I was about 58 years old and had accumulated some pretty hard blows, which had left me feeling not very safe or sure of who I was, low self-esteem and powerless to feel any other way. As was my way, I went to the Wednesday night healing service. The gospel that night was about the woman who had suffered medically for years and knew if she could only touch the hem of Jesus' garment, she would be healed. I reluctantly went to the altar for the laying on of hands. And when the priest came to me, I said, If only I could touch the hem of his garment, I would be healed. She and others laid hands on me for healing. Then I went home. The next morning early, as I was doing my daily office scripture reading and journaling, out of nowhere, inside myself, I heard, You are no longer a victim. And in the silence that followed, I knew clearly what living as a victim looked like, and my job was to catch myself in the act and to choose not to be one. The death for me was choosing to give up the luxury of being pitiful and needy, attached to the past hurts, and to choose life, a kind of life that would be new but unknown and scary, out of my control, but free. Well, I wouldn't be honest if I didn't tell you it's hard work not being a victim. I can't do it without a community who shares their stories of hurts and joys, doubts and loves. A glimpse of the kingdom of God where we each work hard, hard at our having been forgiven and with our call to be forgivers. This process leads to transformation within and without, but is often only seen in hindsight.
I need to finish my thesis about the dilemma of the disciples. Having to learn to live as Jesus lived, even if they didn't understand what he said. It took hindsight for them too. I think Jesus used these parables for their shock value. Reinterpreting the law, pointing to the beauty of creation and the value of each person. Jesus' vision and behavior was all-encompassing, all-inclusive, seeing all creation as a whole and not as this or that, one thing or another, good or bad, right or wrong. He knew all these sins would go down into the dark hole of his death and the possibilities of new life and new earth would just arise in joy and thanksgiving in his resurrection and that he would be with us always to the end of the world. What the disciples came to know and we know is we are not saved by what Jesus taught. And we are certainly not saved by what we understand Jesus to have taught. We are saved by Jesus himself, dead and risen. Follow me, he says. And it is the only word that finally matters. Amen.